0: This is uh, one of my favorite passages of the New Testament because in just six verses we are given a, a wonderful cameo picture of what the early church was like. I'm often asked to preach at church anniversaries and when I go it's often this passage of Scripture that I take as my passage. We can learn so much from it. In the picture of the early church we see here there are certain emphases which emerge. In verse 42, we see the church at worship, listening to God, learning from their teachers, breaking bread together. In verse 43, we see a church that's open to the work of God, which stands back in awe at what God is doing amongst them. And then in verses 44 and 45, we see the practical outworking of faith as they all share with one another. In verses 46 and 47, we see them express joy as they worship. And you remember last week when I was preaching, I was saying that too often we look as if we've been to a funeral when we leave church rather than when we've been to a celebration. And then at the end of verse 47 we see that the fruit of all this is that God gave them regular growth in the number of believers. What a church this is. And yet it's dangerously easy to look at this passage and then to idealize the life of the early church. We need to remember that although it was an exciting church, a powerful church, a new church... St. Paul also needed to write a number of letters to the various churches. Because the truth is that no church is ever perfect. And because churches are made up of people and people are complicated, there are always issues around. So Paul had to write letters correcting behavior, fretting at a lack of love, and correcting errors in belief and theology. So don't idealise the church that's here in Acts twenty in Acts chapter two, but do be encouraged by it and inspired by it. Well, since I've been here, I've already preached about these verses twice and in some detail. So this morning I want to take a different pack, uh, track and pick up just a, a phrase from verse. 47, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I want to think about that little phrase, enjoying the favor of all the people. What does it mean? Well, the Bible commentaries tell us that there are two Greek words for good, One is the word agathos, and that's just simply a word which means that something is good. And the other Greek word, the commentaries tell us, is the word that's used here. It's the word kalos. And it has the meaning of not only being good, but also looking good. These early Christians had the goodwill of the people. They were not narrow-minded bigots who put people off. They were people full of love who attracted other people to them. They looked good to those looking in. They looked good to those who were seeking faith. You see, there are some Christians who are good. But they're so good that they're a pain in the neck. It's a pious goodness. It's a smug goodness. It's a self-aware goodness. In fact, it is such an infuriating goodness that it puts other people off the faith. In contrast, these early Christians were not just good, they were seen to be good. They had the goodness which attracts, the goodness which wins other people, the goodness that has God right at the centre. So what can this verse teach us this morning? about being the sort of church that God wants us to be? What can it teach us about being the sort of church people like? Those who drop in, those who are not familiar with church, those looking for faith. What will make us as a congregation here a people who they like? Now please first realize that I am not talking about church services. They are important, but in reality, people encounter church not just when they come to worship on a Sunday morning, but when they meet the church, and they meet the church when they meet you, or when they meet me, because we are the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not just when we come together on a Sunday. So, they encounter the church when they meet you because they work with you, or because you're a neighbor, or you're a member of some group in a community, or you're a friend of theirs. We are the church just as much when we're dispersed into the community during the week as we are when we come together in our focus on the Sunday. So, how can we be an attractive community? A community people like. I've got time to give just three key characteristics of what a church people like might look like. First, a church people like is made up of ordinary people. And because most people are pretty ordinary, that will mean that it's a church that they feel they might be able to join. When I was in St. Albans, we had a citywide evangelistic mission and I was chair of the committee and every morning the pastors would meet together and we'd get a list of the people who'd made a commitment to Christ, we'd see where they'd live and we'd allocate them to the nearest participating church. And much to my amazement, when we told one church leader about a lady who'd decided to follow Christ and that we'd allocated her to his church, his response was that he didn't want her. Why on earth's that, I asked. Because she's middle-aged, he said, and we're only interested in young people. Now, that strategy paid off. It paid off for his church. It has indeed attracted many young people. But I was very uneasy about it. Just as I'm always uneasy about any group that says they only want young people, or they only want professional people, Or they only want people from one social group. Or they only want intellectual people. Or they only want to target one national group. They only want the Ghanaians or the Nigerians or the Filipinos in their church. They want their own nation. I'm uneasy about that because I don't see that approach in Jesus as he called his disciples. And I don't read about that approach in the book of Acts when I look at the life of the early church. Think what a great step of faith and inclusion it was when those Jewish disciples decided to open up the church to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Think of the words of St. Paul, Galatians 3 and verse 38. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In a church like that, there will be people of all ages, people of all intellects and backgrounds, people rooted in all nations, people who are straight and people who are gay and people who are transgender, people who are on all manner of stages on their faith journey. And that means that they're people like you and people like me. They are ordinary people, such as we see out on the streets of London. And because of that, people will say, I'm like that. So I might be welcome in this church as well. I'm like that. So perhaps I'll be able to walk the Christian walk as well. I like that woman at work who's a Christian. I like that guy at the sports club who's a Christian. I like that church at Westminster where I popped along for the baptism of my nephew. They seem to be nice people. They are ordinary people just like me. A church people like. And then second, a church people like is a generous church. People can see through hypocrisy. People can see when a church talks love but then doesn't do much loving. People can tell when a Christian that they know goes to church on a Sunday but then is a pretty selfish person for the rest of the week. God's love for you and God's love for me It's a lavish love. It's a generous love in its scope. It's so wide, you can't get round it. It's so low, you can't get under it. It's so high, you can't get over it. That's the generosity of God's love. I was in Starbucks recently with a Christian friend. And he was paying for my coffee. And as he paid for my coffee, he said to the cashier, and I'll pay for the three people behind me. What rash, random act of generosity that was. I'm sure it made their day. Recent statistics released show that Christians are more generous in their giving to charity than non-Christians. And that statistic cheered me up no end. And at a personal level, we know that kindness counts. That visit you make to an elderly neighbor. That envelope with cash in it that you quietly slip through a door of somebody who knows in need. That arm round a drooping shoulder. That offer of prayer. This generous self-giving makes an impression as people like you show the personal faith of the church. Then as a church here in Westminster, we give away a tenth of what comes in. Just recently we had a picture sent to us of three beaming Ghanaian ministers, one of them a bishop, on their motorbikes that they'd been able to buy to do pastoral visiting. Until that they'd had to hitch or walk. What a blessing it was to see them. But it isn't just the money, we show a generous face as a church through what we do. In our hosting of and support for the St Vincent Family Centre here. In the drop-in group for the men to the unwell. In our hosting and supporting the Parkinson's Society uh, drop-in centre. In hosting various meetings such as the one we had yesterday looking at violence against women. And of course, in our support for the Winter Night Shelter, whose helpers we've commissioned this morning, in our welcoming a whole host of church and charity groups, in all these ways, we try to be generous. Because we believe that that reflects the generous God who we serve. Let me read to you what was written in the second century by a converted philosopher called Athenagoras. He was speaking about the church of his day. Among us you will find uneducated persons and artisans and old women who, if they are unable to prove the benefits of our doctrines, yet by their deeds they exhibit the benefits arising from their persuasion of its truth. They do not practice great speeches, but they exhibit good works. When struck, they do not strike back. When robbed, they do not go to law. They give to those who ask of them. And they love their neighbours as themselves. I believe a generous church is an attractive church. People like it. And then third and last, a church people like is a church where they see God. So many people are looking for peace and purpose. They're looking for answers that just cannot be found outside of faith in God. And when you talk to them, they admire Jesus, but they've got no time at all for the church and no time for many of the Christians they know at work or on the street. In fact, many sadly, sadly, actively dislike the church. When I hear folks saying something like that, I think to myself, what a reaping there would be of new converts if we could only become a church that people didn't dislike, but they liked. Because then we can point them to the Jesus who would change their lives. We would not put people off, we'd pull people in. Into personal relationships, into friendships, eventually into faith we've got to be honest and say there's nothing, humanly speaking, that is remotely attractive about going to church. You could be playing golf. You could go to a car boot sale. You could go to a nice concert. You could be lying in bed still. You could be with people that you really like rather than the motley crew that all get thrown together here on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Best of all... You could not be listening to the preacher go on and on and on. As individual Christians, it's always easier not to love than to love. Love is hard work because people are hard work. So what is the added factor that we offer as Christians, as a church, either gathered or out where we live and where we work? The one thing we offer which is really attractive, stunningly attractive, differently attractive, is the message that God loves us. The message that sin can be forgiven and there's a new beginning opened up. The message that relationships can be restored. The message that our God is a God who meets our need at the very deepest point and can offer healing and wholeness and renewal. You see, you might not attract others as the woman or man who you are. I certainly wouldn't. But by the Holy Spirit, God does attract. People say there's something different about that person who's walking with God day by day. People come here and sometimes they tell me they can almost sense the presence of God as we worship together. And because people see lives changed, because they see God at work in lives, because they see a church empowered by the Holy Spirit and living out faith in community, then they see something that they like. They see something that they want to be a part of. And we as a community begin to enjoy, as it says here in Acts, the favour of, of all the people, just as did the early church. How we long for that day. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, make us a church where all find a place. Make us a generous church. Make us a church where people see you at work. Make us a church people like. Let's pray. Loving God, we want to say sorry for those times when we've not been a church people like, when we as individual Christians know that we've let you down. We think about the fact that that person at work or on our street might know no other Christian. We are Christ to them. Lord, may we so walk closely with you that we may begin to, in just some small way, fulfill that purpose. We think about this community of faith. We think how sometimes things have divided us. Sometimes we've got hung up on details. Sometimes... What nation we come from or what style of worship we prefer or what preacher we like to hear has made more difference than what's really important, that you're here. That as we worship, we're just held in the love of the Father. We seek to lift up Jesus. We open ourselves to the power of the Spirit. So, Lord, help us to be Christian women and men who people like, not particularly holy, but they like us because they see something in us that's of you. And help this church to be a church people like, that every day you will add to our number. Bless us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The final hymn, I'm not sure if we know it.